Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to the Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hello and welcome to the Author's Corner. I am your host, Robin Colucci, and today we are going to talk about something that no matter how many years of experience as a writer that you have, nobody ever outgrows the need to learn about how to write better. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I have invited to join us today an outstanding person who is going to give us some guidance on the 11 mistakes that good writers make. And before I introduce her, I want to point out that this is 11 mistakes that good writers make or even good writers make. And I think that that is such an important distinction because as a writer, I know that no matter how good I get at writing, I'm never going to master it, right? There's always another level. There's always another way to improve. I'm delighted to introduce to you today, Hera Estroff Morano. Hera is an award-winning author, journalist, and editor who writes about all aspects of human behavior through a broad cultural lens. Her most recent book, A Nation of Wimps, The High Cost of Invasive Parenting, published by Random House, examines the contemporary culture of parenting and documents how rampant over-engagement harms children and is bad for us all. She's also written for publications like the New York Times, New York Magazine, USA Today, and Glamour. Hera is also the editor-at-large for Psychology Today magazine. So she's constantly reading the works of experts and editing their work. And so she's had a, enough work across her desk that she really knows what she's talking about. And I hope that no matter what your writing level is, and no matter how many years of experience that you have, I believe that there is tremendous value here for you to receive. So do uh, sit back and enjoy, and let me know in the comments how you like the episode. Hera, welcome to the Author's Corner. I'm delighted to be here, delighted to talk to other authors and help them. Yeah, it's so wonderful to have you and all your incredible wisdom and, and experience to share with us today. And what we talked about as we were thinking about doing this interview was your wonderful list of 11 writing mistakes that good writers make. And I think that that is such a really important distinction. But actually, why don't you say a little bit about why are you saying the 11 mistakes good writers make? Well, you know, every day I deal with people who are essentially experts in their field and can talk a lot about what they do. And then when they go to write, they don't quite pull it off as well as you think they should or could. And over the years, I've observed certain kinds of mistakes that they make repeatedly. I kind of know why by now, why they do it, what's going through their heads. And partly some of the mistakes are really a function of knowing something really well and mm -hmm. not getting outside their own head to be able to understand what other people need to know to know what they know. 
And it's kind of a hat trick. You have to really get outside your own head. And I guess I remain surprised by how few people know that. I'm really always surprised day after day, encounter after encounter, how few people just put something down and think from an outsider's perspective, what does someone need to know to get from A to Z? And I'll actually talk about that because that's really one of the big mistakes. Yeah. And I think that that's probably one of the most common mistakes, like the higher level or the deeper experience the expert has, the more likely they are to fall into that particular trap, right? Because everything seems so obvious. Yes. Intuitive to them. And I hope I can convey a few pointers on how to correct some of these mistakes. Let's get into the juicy good stuff. So where do we begin? What is number one? Okay. So on your list, I should say. (laughs) Number one is kind of going to come as a shopper to everyone because I think the single most important mistake good writers make, and this is my phrasing of it, is they don't really know what they're writing about. And (laughs) this is kind of an exaggeration, but Writing is really helped by knowing what you're actually writing about. And I can't tell you how many times people will say to me, I want to write an article about depression. And I say, well, what do you want to write about depression? Um, Depression isn't an article. It's a (laughs) domain. It's it's a body of work. It's an entire topic area. Yeah, exactly. You have to have the traditional way of thinking about it is you have to have an angle on it. You have to have some perspective on it and understand what your perspective is and communicate it. And I think that the best way to think about it is distilling your thought about what you want to say into a headline and a subheadline. I mean, nothing concentrates the mind more than thinking about what you want to say in essentially two sentences. And I can give you a couple of examples. So, for example, I recently did an article about a year ago on physicians, the article was spurred by the very, this is even before COVID, even before COVID, a very high rate of burnout and suicide among physicians, which is continuing and will continue after the pandemic. The headline I had was the healers are hurting. And the way I thought about it was for many of the nation's physicians, Doctoring has become an almost unrecognizable activity, and it started way before the pandemic. It's bad enough that patients are unhappy with the care that they get, but the doctors have no idea how to take care of themselves. That capsulizes the whole idea of the article. Much shorter encapsulation was an article about resilience. And the title of the article was Design for Success. And the point of the article was summed up in the line, resilience is in human nature. Persevering through adversity is not a bug in the software, but a feature of the hardware. How do you do it? How do you start on that path so that you can distill your thought? First, I want to say it's going to take more time than you think. But once you have it, you can really manipulate your idea and do a lot of things with it. Here are three things you can do. You can ask yourself, how will my idea, my article, change the way people think? Because you're writing in order to influence people. Pretend you're at a party. You're at a party in your neighborhood. You're on the back deck of the house of your neighbor. Your neighbor's a lawyer. You've got a drink in one hand and 
the guy asks you, what are you up to? You're obviously not going to launch into a 15 minute discussion. Oh, what do you say some, when you're, some people might. <laughs> might. You don't really want them at the party. But you, and, and right? you don't want them writing your articles either. <laughs> exactly. So, so it's the kind of statement you would make under those circumstances. And as I said, think in terms of two sentences. You really should be able to do it in two sentences. Really, the experts could do it in one because you have to be thinking about it for a while. And when you think about it, you ought to be able to know what it's the essence of what it's about. This is not unrelated, but the mistake number two that people make and good writers make is that they don't say why it matters now. The now is important. First of all, if a piece doesn't have urgency, no one is going to touch it. It's going to be on the bottom of the pile and it'll be for that day that never comes. You know, when, when there's that, nothing that else. You have plenty of time and nothing to do, right? Yes, exactly. That mythical day, right? Yes, that day that we're all waiting for. <laughs> never happen. So any article idea has to capture something, relate to either something in the culture or some development or some news element or something that you feel people have to know that will influence the way they handle something, the way something going on generally or very specifically in a lot of people's lives. As I said, otherwise, no article is ever going to be commissioned. And neither will a book, by the way, for a novel. That's exactly true. The same How do you understand what the urgency is? Well, you can ask yourself, why is it important to tell the story today rather than next year? You can ask yourself what's going on or emerging in the culture that this relates to. So new developments. And then the other thing you can ask yourself is, what will happen if people don't have this information? Those are three very trusted ways to guarantee that you will get at what you need to get at. Number three. Please. Yes. <laughs> that good writers make. Yes. There's no surprise in what they're writing about. Now, I don't care what you're writing about. And it can either be in the insight that you're offering in your article or in the writing. There needs to be some element of surprise. Otherwise, why bother? Why are you telling people things they already know in language they already have heard before? So you want to wake yourself up. You want to wake your readers up. So how do you capture surprise? One way to do it is just sort of catch yourself and think, what is it that I keep coming back to in this story or about this topic that fascinates me? What is that thing I keep returning to? When people ask me what I'm doing, what is that thing that I explain that I know is going to capture people's attention? Another thing you do is ask yourself, what's the most counterintuitive element in what I want to write about? And then very simply, don't ignore yourself. Just ask yourself, what surprises me most about this information? I don't know why people think that they have to disregard their own excitement in response to information, because if it excites you, it's going to excite someone else. That's really important. I think people have a very mistaken idea that things, if they're important, they have to be solemn. It's really very critically important to convey the surprise. Let's see, mistake number four. Oh, this is one of my absolute favorites. It's what I refer to as DDD. And if you look at a manuscript that I'm editing, 
you will often see DDD in the margins on both sides. And DDD stands for demonstrate, don't declare. Uh, um, <laughs> okay. So yeah. let me see if I can come up with a quick example. This is an article that I edited this week. It was actually a very well done article by a psychology professor for an article on psychology today. Very witty article, very well done. But at one point, the article stated that some kind of psychology-like wacky ideas out there kill people. And or inadvertently kill people. And, mm -hmm. and I said, demonstrate that. Uh, you can't expect <laughs> me to believe that. Right. Unless yeah. you give me, give me an example. Uh, or you know, Exactly. What do people die of? That's a pretty big generalization. Right. And, right. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, the thing is, people need something specific to mm -hmm. grasp onto. And that's what becomes memorable. So let's see. Let's go to mistake number five. Okay. Mistake number five is incomplete reasoning. So here I'm going to say before you sit down to write, while you're still outside of the article, before your head is completely in it and you're immersed in specific things, what you should do is think what is someone who is not you? What do they need to know to get from point A to point Z in your article? What are the stops along the way? About my healers are hurting article and doctors burning out and committing suicide. Well, in order to understand why that was the case, there were two really very or three very big important things to know that you had to know something about the personality characteristics of physicians, of someone who is going to undergo 10 years of training, because that's what medical school takes from the time you enter until the time you're out cutting us all up. <laughs> so something about the personality characteristics, people who are selected into the field, and they're great characteristics for physicians but they have implications for lots of things. You need to know that doctors are sworn to an oath of doing no harm. Yes. And no matter what you may think later on in practice, doctors deeply, seriously are sworn to that oath and they take it very, very seriously. And the other thing you need to know is that you need to know that contrary to the stereotype of doctors, most physicians today do not work for themselves. They work for an organization. They are employees. And so as employees, they are often torn between their allegiance to the patient and getting information from the patient and doing no harm and their responsibility to an employer. And when, so those are stops along the way that I need to take readers through before the readers can understand and have compassion for the situation that physicians are in that's causing them to harm themselves. That's the kind of thinking you have to do with every single article. What does someone need to know to think the way I want them to think about this topic? So what do you do? So you can ask yourself, just frankly, what does someone need to know to get from point A to point Z? What else you can do is you can pretend you're writing a book or maybe you are writing a book. And you can just very simply in two or three words, delineate each of the chapters because each in a book, every chapter is going to advance the story further and further. And that's essentially what you do in an article on a smaller scale. Or, okay, so you're not thinking about a book, just write the barest 
minimum outline possible. No details, just a couple of words for each step along the way. This is another one of my favorites. Number six, language imprecision. I like to say the precision (laughs) in language is as important as precision in ice skating. (laughs) So you want to carve a memorable thought into the mind of the reader. And you do that through the precision in writing. And maybe you were told somewhere along the way that it's cheating to use a thesaurus. All I can tell you is if you were ever told that, forget it. Thank you. <laughs> the source could I was be gonna say that I cheat about 10 times a day. So do I. Right. So it's the greatest the, thing. <laughs> the source is great because yeah. it pulls together a whole bunch of words relating to your thoughts and what it gives you and the words all are close, but vary in different degrees of denotation, connotation, emotional weight, the sound of the words. And that enriches your imagination as you're looking at thesaurus. And you get lots of choices. And very often you could be looking for capturing one idea and you get another idea that sends you off in a totally different direction. Mm-hmm. Fair game, have a ball, play with the thesaurus. Such a difference, just that slight connotative difference, like that, just that little bit of difference between one word or the other and what it implies. And it can change the whole meaning of what you're saying. And color something emotionally. Yes. And add that emotion, because that's really a lot where the difference often lies is in the emotion or the feeling of what the word is conveying, for sure. Right. This is something I want to dwell on for another second, because so here's something that good writers and good thinkers need to know, that automatically, when you have a thought in your head, the thought inside your head is shaped and shaded by feelings that you're not even aware of. And you don't need words to describe those feelings, you just have those feelings. Those feelings arise from within you and words aren't part of it because you have the sensation, the feeling. Well, what you have to do is understand that people outside of you do not have those sensations, do not have that automatic colorization. A lot of your feelings. (laughs) Right, right. Right? That would be sad. (laughs) So you have to get them there. And it takes a lot of work. You've got to export your thoughts with all that color and all that tone attached to it. As I said, it's really hard mental work and you have to slog away at it. You have to kind of keep digging What do I feel? What is this like? Thesaurus also can help you here. Whittle away at whatever the meaning is, that feeling is that you have in your head. And in fact, the thesaurus is really very helpful here because it can really, in suggesting all the possibilities, it can help you narrow your search Mm -hmm. and to find that exact or near exact word to capture what it is that you think uh, the word should be. Yeah. I was just thinking of a good example because I just edited a piece that, that this one idea and, and like, I'll just like share like three different words that have totally different feelings, even though they have pretty much the same definition. Is it haunting you? Is it plaguing you? Is it stalking you? (laughs) You know, right. They all have a different, but it's, it's kind of this feeling of like, we're in the same ballpark. It's, it's being, it's following, you know, whatever, but they all have a slightly different or actually dramatically different, really connotation and experience that would be going on emotionally. I'm glad you brought up the word experience 
Because mm-hmm. the readers are also bringing something to this too. Yes. And so, you know, you think of the word haunting. What is someone's experience with that likely to be? And it can be very different and quite negative, in fact, mm-hmm. from the others. So you want to choose a word that's going to have that right feeling and right emotional tone, which is going to help add the meaning, help add precision. And it's going to help you deliver what you want to say and create the effect that you want. How do you do this? Well, number one, bookmarkthesaurus.com. I mean, just don't even yes. think about it. Just, <laughs> right? just book, bookmark it. And, yeah. and then when you do it, explore all the alternatives that capture one nuance or another of a word. And then select words that and follow them. So and make them your keyword and 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 sort of explore them, go down that path, use them as your search word because they're going to influence. So choose the ones that have exactly the kind of influence and attitude that you want them to have so that you can move. This is how you move the reader to your point of view. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's language and precision. And Love so it. now I'm going to get even more precise. Oh, goody. Because <laughs> I'm going to say within the world of language precision, let's get to verbs. Because. Oh, okay. <laughs> So the mistake that people make here is that they use wishy-washy verbs. Oh, yes. Have we made... Yeah, we have the same heart here, my darling. Oh. Uh, this Yes, but can please continue. Yeah, I mean, so so use, be, have, do. I Show. Mean, they, yes. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get to my favorite in a second. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. But... But it's kind of taken over in the last two or three years. But these verbs, they're fine. They have their place. But you need to know that it's verbs that do the heavy lifting in an article. They are what moves the narrative forward. You may have been taught in elementary school or in junior high school that adjectives are what make writers writers. I beg to differ. Verbs are extremely important. And in the modern world, they are particularly important. The verbs are doing the heavy lifting. And I just think a lot of writers fail to harness the power of verbs. I want to urge people to make friends with verbs. They grab the reader. They deliver impact. They sharpen the picture in the reader's head, something you want to aim for, and they boost precision. My current favorite word used as a verb, wildly overused today, is impact. That impact. (laughs) Right. So all I could, and even worse, is impactful. I just want to throw up when I hear it. <laughs> so don't use the word impact. Specify what the effect is. How do you get to precision in the use of verbs? So my number one point of information is that you have to regard verbs really as more important than adjectives in telling your story. And if you find yourself using have, do, make, use, be, show, catch yourself and think how you can be more specific. Mm-hmm. And while you're at it, select those verbs that use a thesaurus here, folks. Just select those verbs whose sounds and color add to the meaning sibilant sounds are going to be softer and have a softer effect. There are times when you want to draw on that and create that effect. And they're going to create more warmth. And this is what you want. And when you want it, this is how you do it through that um, choice of words. 
Okay, so now we're on to mistake number seven. Oh, this is a favorite one of mine. And the mistake is that you think you have to begin at the beginning. Now, an (laughs) article or a book does not have to begin at the beginning of your story. You still have to write a story somewhere in there that goes from A to Z. But where you begin your article or your book is likely and often not the beginning of the actual story. You have to begin somewhere that's going to capture the reader. You can begin with a quote. You can begin with the most exciting piece of information you have about what you're writing about. You can begin with a powerful example. You want to lead with your strength. I began an article recently. Actually, it was a very complicated article about nutrition and Alzheimer's disease. How, how Alzheimer's disease is basically a lifestyle disorder. I began the article with two words in large print because that's the way our art director basically begins articles in psychology today. And the two words were, hell no. (laughs) So most people would want to know why does someone feel so strongly (laughs) about something and what is it that someone feels so strongly about? So I'm leading off with a quote and it's a pretty forceful statement. And I very briefly explain that hell no is the answer to the question whether even people who have a genetic predisposition for Alzheimer's disease are doomed to develop the disease. Mm -hmm. And the answer by this chief neurologist who opened the country's first clinic to prevent Alzheimer's disease is hell no. Right. And so I transitioned from that explanation into the beginning of the story about nutrition and into metabolism and so on until readers had a pretty clear understanding of what they should do in their everyday life. So what can you do? So just remember that how you start your story or your book, your first chapter of a book. In uh, journalism, we call it the lead. The lead is not necessarily where your story starts, but it's where the article starts. So what you open with is, as I said, it isn't necessarily the beginning of your story. So your lead has to be the wow or surprise or the intrigue, something that sets a mystery in motion. It could even be the end. Sometimes we're intrigued with things even when we know the ending. How many times do you do you read a story that begins with the death of someone and it goes back to the and the whole entire article or book goes back to the beginning? Speaking about death, that reminds me of something really important in this regard of where you begin. Think of obituaries as a model. <laughs> right. What do obituaries do? If you read the New York Times and other good newspapers, the obituaries spend maybe about the first third or the first half talking about the most interesting things this person did and why they're memorable. And then somewhere a third, half of the way down, John Jones was born in blah, right. blah, blah, and then begins the narrative of their life. Yep. So when all else fails, think of the obituary as the model. <laughs> right. yeah. um, just don't make that beginner's mistake of thinking that you have to begin at the beginning and plod all the way through, through every detail. Another, another term we use in journalism is don't bury the lead. Absolutely. <laughs> right. So right. your lead... That- What's that thing that's going to get people's attention and make them want to read more? You want to put that right up front. Yeah. Yes. And you bring up a good point because sometimes in the writing, 
you get to that point, it, sometimes suddenly some piece of information opens up and you discover how important it is. And there it is on page 31 of whatever you're writing about. And so what you then do is you then use that as your lead. It's perfectly permissible. You go back and construct a shorter ver- short version of that as your lead and then bridge into the beginning of your narrative and then more fully expand it when you get to that proper part in the story where you actually discovered it was the most important part of the story. Here we are, folks, on mistake number nine. And oh, we're cruising. Yes, we're cruising here. So, All right, here we go. So this one, this one I'm sure you come across all the time, Robin. <laughs> Clinging to cliches. Oh, good Lord, yes. I will tell you one that I came across recently. But the problem with cliches is you're using other people's thinking. You're not using your own thinking. And it's kind of a mindlessness. You go into this rut that was carved by someone else and your brain turns off. And you just fall into that rut. And I want to show you how mindless this can be. This is actually a line written in an article written by a certifiably smart human being. (laughs) Have lots of credentials certify that she was smart. Okay. The article was about sex trafficking, human trafficking. There was a line in the article that said the SOS signal, it's a hand signal. The SOS hand signal gives the anti-trafficking movement a huge foothold. It's like, what? How did we get to the point where a hand signal is the foothold? Someone just slipped right into that groove of something being a foothold. And instead of thinking it through and coming up with their own wording, it's like, yeah, we all know what, but I just did a double take. I was like, what? It just is so absurd. So I changed it. And what it now says is the SOS hand signal gives the anti-trafficking movement important visibility. Is it poetry? No, it wasn't poetry to start with, but it makes the point. It makes the point concisely. Well, and we know what, what you mean. Exactly. It's just simple. You can get a mental image of what that is, but a strong foothold is like, what is that even? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so what do you do? So just always categorically, always aim for a fresh expression of any word. Any thought. And the operative word here is always. I love that. What happens? Word is always. So so the mindlessness. Thank you. you. (laughs) Not sometimes, not usually. (laughs) So, So the mindlessness that can create a hand signal having a foothold. I mean, which is <laughs> you get to see the kind of mind, how the mindlessness drags you into absurdity. <laughs> so, so you don't want mindlessness in your readers either. You don't want yeah. them lulled to sleep and get right. into that cliche rut. Just do it to keep yourself awake and to figure you've got to find a way to keep your readers awake. And I'm just going to tell you, as I've told you before on so many of these points, it takes work. It takes mental work. People think, oh, I could just sit down and write. And yes, you can, but it takes much more mental work. That's why God invented editors. (laughs) Right? Is that not true, Robin? It's so true. We're heaven sent. (laughs) Exactly. Here's another one. This is number 10. And the mistake that good writers make is that they finish and they don't put their article away for Uh, a day, a couple of days, however much time. 
I always tell people aim to finish in advance a day ahead of your deadline. And if you can't do it a day ahead, but from the time you finish your writing, go out and do something physically active because what you need to do, well, you need to finish it in advance of whatever your deadline is, is you need to go back and look at it with fresh eyes and you've got to do it more than once. But you have to go over it to, and I don't care how good you are. Yeah, you absolutely. really have to go over it. Yeah, you, you need to. So, what do you do when you go over it? You're you're looking for gaps in the story. You want to add drama to places where you discover this is this is important. I want to give it the importance. I want to choose words, and I want to lead up to it in a way that people can understand the importance of this event in the life of the character in my article. It can lead you to clarify. There are many ways you might be clarifying. You might be adding examples. You might be changing the words. You might be doing a little more digging in the thesaurus. You want to clarify your ideas. Once they're out of your head, it's very important to get them out of your head. They need to chip away. You know, think of yourself as a Michelangelo sculpting <laughs> slaves. You're chipping away at your work to whittle it down to get it into that perfect shape. And you look at it in advance and you read it over so you can get the whole view, the purview, you know, of the article and, and make sure that the whole story is there. How do you do this? And by the way, you're going to have to go over it at least once and oh, yeah. probably more. Oh, definitely. I won't tell you how many times I go over my thing. I'm not <laughs> obsessive. I'm not obsessive. I'm not super concerned. I just want to make sure that the article captures on the page what I have in my head. As I said, aim to finish at least a day in advance. And if it's a book, you've got to do it more than a day in advance. And if you can't put a good night's sleep between you and your work, at least put a physical activity because that's going to shift your brain literally and you'll be able to look very freshly and in reading it over anything that you stumble over that's a sign of a place that needs repair aside from anything else that you decide you might want to perfect or improve on if you're reading something over and you suddenly have a question mark or you go, wait, I've got to read that twice. Don't let it go. It yeah. means, whoops, pothole, and you got to stop and fix it. I want to add one more thought to that because something I found to be tremendously effective at catching those things that you're saying is to read it aloud. Oh, absolutely. Uh, totally. So let's tell people why reading aloud is yes. so good. Why, I'll let you do that. Yes. Well, Mm-hmm. So when you read aloud, you really capture the smoothness and the flow. And of course, you should aim for the smoothest and the easiest flowing pathway from beginning to end. You also feel the drama of the words and it takes it out of your head. It mm-hmm. gives it an objective existence and you can more easily see, uh, hear, and feel <laughs> the defects or the areas of improvement that are there. Yeah, and the you- other, I want to add to that too, because the other thing I've noticed is, I think a lot of times, especially with really you know people experts who have deep expertise in their field, you can think that you wrote enough to convey the idea. But when you're reading it to yourself, your mind is filling in all those blanks automatically. Mm-hmm. But when you hear it aloud, then you can actually hear where you didn't include some vital piece of information that would help your reader be able to. Right. Yeah. Right. And because it becomes something objective and out there, it becomes mm-hmm. easier to see those spots. Right. Oh, my gosh, I jump from here to there. You're not just automatically, your brain will, you know it so well, your mind will just fill that in for you. 
That's what it does all the time. That's the real big hazard of people who know a lot about an area. (laughs) Their mind is filling in and they have to get outside their head to make all the kinds of corrections that make a story flow and be full and be available to be grasped by other people. In that regard is mistake number 11. And that's the misuse of this and that as words. Um, I just have to, before you get into this, I just have to say that from the first time I heard you point that out, I was so like, it was such a V8 moment for me. And now I can't stop seeing it. And every time I see it, it drives me crazy. So thank you so much because it is leading to better writing for me and for my clients. But now please continue. I want to say in that regard, it's also a mistake very common to very smart people who are experts in their field because they know what this is or that is often when they write about it, not always. So here's the thing. This and that are demonstrative adjectives. This computer, this blouse, this mobile phone, this pen, that's how they're meant to be used. And they're meant to to distinguish this one here from that one there. So they're supposed to refer to very specific things. But too often, this and that are used instead of the thing. They're used to replace rather than to modify what you're talking about. So they become demonstrative pronouns and they wind up as substitutes for what you mean and contribute to fuzziness of writing and ideas. And what happens is that people walk away not fully getting what it is that you're writing. And it happens far more often than you think. You kind of, sort of get what the writer means, but you can't put it in your own words because the writer never put it in his or her own words. And as I said, it becomes, and then let's add to that. The problem with using this or that is it forces the reader to go back to track backwards. <laughs> right. What is that? What, what was, was that anyway? What is this? <laughs> right. You don't want people going back. You want people moving forward. This and that wind up as substitutes for what you mean. So that means they become substitutes for the hard work, specifying and articulating exactly the exact words of what you mean. So here's a very simple example. The boy's dog was run over by a car. This saddened him. Here's a way this very simple sentence can be improved. The boy's dog was run over by a car. The loss saddened him. And when you're reading that, you get much more power in specifying the loss. It makes it much easier for the reader to feel exactly the same kind of sadness, because who can't relate to a loss? So when you specify, you're actually increasing the emotional power and the verbal power of whatever it is that you're writing about. You feel the loss more. So here, in terms of pointers, I just have one. Make life simple. Just banish this and that in your writing. Categorically. (laughs) (laughs) I write in manuscripts constantly, what is this? What is that? What do they refer to? Again, it's really, it's two elements together. It's getting out of your own head. It's also doing that mental work of chipping away and being very articulate. And as I said, it takes more work than you think it does. You know, you're reminding me of another pet peeve of mine but is saying there is, or there are to open a sentence. Yes. It's um, It's related. It's not identical, but it's, it's, it's a related vagueness that. that Yes. It's passive. It's vague. 
And instead, what people should do is construct an active sentence because what's going to work in that sentence, what's going to be the operative element of that sentence is going to be a verb. Exactly. Yeah. And that's going to. Well, and it'll be it'll probably be a specific noun because there is or there are is very hand wavy. Right. Right. What is there? Where is there? But if you say, you know, if you say there's a lot of upset around this versus people are furious. Yes. Then it's a completely different. (laughs) You you tighten it. Not not about this. Pardon me. (laughs) Right. 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 And and, right. Not about this. People are furious about the. So you're adding power. You're it's having more of an effect on people and it's shorter and most often shorter is better than what I, I do have. And maybe we can do it. Talk about it some other time. I have tons of things that good writers actually do do. <laughs> we can talk about them. That would All right. Well, we'll have to have you back, I think, to, to cover those. <laughs> right. But that's all the mistakes I want to talk about today that good writers make over and over again. Well, thank you so much. This has been so informative and I have even gotten some nuggets for myself. So thank you very much. Any final thoughts for this particular area of topic that we didn't cover that I didn't ask you about? Let's see. I did get in my dig at impactful and impact Yes, you um, so <laughs> glad that that one's I just see it happening. And this word seems to have taken over the world lately. And especially in business writing, which uh-huh. just drives me nuts. Every single one. I shouldn't say every single one. The majority of the mistakes that we talked about result from people not getting outside their head the things that are inside and they don't understand how things are colored by their feelings, which you have to bring those to consciousness Mm -hmm. and to then articulate them. And that's why I say it's much harder work than, than people imagine. Oh, I'll just sit down. And that's why people, they face a blank piece of paper and have trouble, shouldn't have trouble or your blank screen and have trouble. It, One of my great pieces of advice that writers, and it concerns what writers do do, is begin writing anywhere. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's the last line of your story. Wherever you have the energy Mm. right there, maybe you just heard a dialogue and you want to use some variation of the dialogue, you begin writing there. When you put that into action, that kind of takes away the blank page challenge should give you the energy to be able to get out of your own head to see objectively what it is that you've got to get from your head onto a page. Wonderful. Well, Hera, thank you again for being here today on the Author's Corner and for sharing all these incredible tips and insights. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of the Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.